No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. Hello again, Mech fans. This is Duncan Fisher, your one-stop shop for everything that matters. And speaking of what matters, today I want to talk to you about why we love Battle Mechs. Is mankind violent by nature? We certainly seem drawn to it. We are fascinated by it. And in part, it drives the inner sphere's progress and our entertainment alike. But why mechs? Why does mankind love the sound and fury of giant avatars of war stomping around a battlefield, unleashing hell on whatever attempts to stand in their path? I think I might have an answer to those questions. Deep down... Every man and woman has a need. Well, we probably have several needs, but the one I'm talking about is the need to know that, without a doubt, mankind is superior to everything else in the universe, even itself. That may sound a little circular to you scholars out there, but consider this. We have always fought each other, and fighting is about supremacy over others. And nothing towers over a cowed opponent quite like a battle mech. So the next time you watch a mech fight, try to picture yourself as one of the giant metal monsters slugging away at your adversary. And remember that mechs are like big men. Really big men. With lasers. This has been the Duncan Fisher Minute. The Duncan Fisher Minute is written by David Morton. Produced and performed by George Ledoux and Voices in My Head Productions. Based on characters created by Ferret Bodwin and George Ledoux. Any similarity to persons living or dead is ridiculous. You probably thought it was normal. Just a little off. The truth is at one time I was. But now I'm a robot. Hey everyone, Darren aka Bombadil here. Just wanted to again say thank you for all of your support. It is always appreciated and very much essential for our survival. As always, if you have the means, please head on over to our website at NoGutsNoGalaxy.net and make a simple donation or even click through our Amazon link before you do your online shopping and get us a little kickback that way. And again, if you have any family, friends, or coworkers that you think might be interested in Battletech or MechWarrior, please help spread the word. Today, we have the first of a special three-part interview with Brian Ekman, creative director at Piranha Games, so please enjoy. You're listening to the Gamecasting Broadcast Network. Live from the outreach studios around the world. This is a No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. And now, your host, Phil, a.k.a. Sean Lang.
Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy podcast 103. My name is Phil, and I'm your host. Today is February 12th, 2014, and I'm joined by Darren, a.k.a. Bombadil. Hey, everyone. And today's co-host, Brandon, a.k.a. Catrakel. Hello, everybody. Jason, a.k.a. The Centurion. Hello. And our guest and speaker, Brian Ekman, creative director of Piranha Games. What's going on, Brian? How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's always a pleasure, man. Uh, so, cool question before we dive into everything. How are you enjoying the Ember? <laughs> <laughs> Phil is enjoying it. it quite a lot, just to let you know. Yeah, it's, you know, he's got character. What can you say? I uh, I truly do love a little mech like that who just likes to wreak havoc. Well, see, that's what I'm wondering is, like, what makes it so just well, was, yeah, did, good? Did you I mean, like, what what's special about I mean, you know, obviously the hard points, but... Did you anticipate it, it being so badass? Was it? Did you see this coming? You know the guys uh, that when they designed it, they were telling me about it, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, we have to balance the flamers a little bit. We got to balance the hard points a little bit more, and you know, we got to look at you know at the construction of it. And I was like, mm, okay, I'll let you roll with it. They're, I mean, they're experts, like David and and Alex and and Paul. I mean, this is what they've been doing for two years, basically, is making these max. I was like, okay. And uh, and then when I saw it and I got to play with it, and I'm like, oh my, this is <laughs> going to be fun. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see uh, you know lights back in a in a fun way uh, with a real piece of character. So yeah, hey, I, was, are... I was expecting it. Phil, how are you fitting yours? Are you doing mediums and machine guns, or what's the what is what are people playing with? Yeah, mediums, machine guns. I've seen AC5s and, and another combo. I've, I've tried medium pulse and combination. Um, the, the thing with the Ember, I mean, obviously we're getting off track here before we get into details, but it's interesting because the Spider is actually smaller. You know, the, the Jenner, I mean, is a decent size too, but the Ember, it's like a little bulldog, right? It's like something that can take a hit and it keeps hitting back. And it's unique to look at the actual physical dimensions of the mech and then compare it to the Commando or the Spider, which are smaller, but yet it just seems like that that thing just uh, can take a hit and just keep going. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a number one on a lot of people's lists. I like the hitboxes. It's just easier to spread a little damage a little bit better, I think, than the Jenner. The arms, being able to yep. absorb the, yeah. yeah Whoever I, did I the fine-tuning did a wonderful job. And, of course, aesthetically, Klein Brie, you're awesome. I know I, that know. thing. Seriously, I, I mean, I, I knew the fire starter was coming, but I had no idea it was going to look so cool. He did an the, amazing job. The like the canisters, if you will, on the shoulders look really, you know, I, I'm I, I was happy with it. And someone actually pointed out, though, Brian, the cockpit area is very, very, very similar to one of the Atlas concept arts uh, as far as the cockpit area. I mean, it's almost identical, which uh if you look at it from a certain angle and you didn't know, like uh, as for, uh, in like a screenshot, you'd almost think, "Oh, it's a it's an atlas." But it's mini me, mini yeah, me atlas. You know? Yeah, well, exactly that—a little mini me atlas. Um, <laughs> I think you know Alex draws uh, his uh, his reference from his previous designs, and he likes to always put in little Easter eggs and and uh, you know like the little canisters and things. That was the first thing I saw. I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! That totally sells it as this you know pyromaniac." Mm-hmm. So love it. So he's he's really good at that and pulling forward and uh, pulling designs from other mechs and kind of that's what brings it together manufacturer wise and and lore wise it's just those subtle little things he does. 
All right. Well, we got plenty to talk to you about today, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna sort of look back, and uh, it's been you know a few months, and we're gonna look for, towards the future, towards like April. So since we talked to you last time, we've had a few things come out. One of those being uh, the skirmish mode. So with it being implemented and, and being out there, can we expect to see any more changes to the current game modes, like before new modes are introduced? Uh, right now, um, we are watching how they play out uh, we're watching how skirmish mode um, is used by the community uh, it's still the third played mode so uh, assault and conquest are still more played uh, than skirmish at this point but uh, you know we'll probably look at uh, tuning you know the reward system and and some of the you know maybe the time frame uh, how long the match is things like that but right now we're pretty happy with skirmish we're just watching it takes a couple months of uh, metrics to see patterns uh, so we're still waiting for all that data to come in it's only been no it's going to be about two months in a week here so until then we're just going to wait and see one of the questions i was going to ask is uh do you see a difference in the drop tonnage in uh, that mode compared to the others i'd have to look at it i haven't actually asked that question um but uh, it would probably be broader if I was to expect it because there's fewer people playing it so the matchmaker is going to have larger thresholds I was going to say I, I play on any um, so when I uh, there's actually quite a few nights where I'll be streaming and all I get is skirmish like three four times in a row and I feel that's because what people do is they'll they'll choose assault and conquest and boom then what what happens to me yeah, I think the other thing that is happening too is depends on the time of night you play. If you're going to play in Eastern Time, Prime Time, so 9 o'clock-ish, which is about 6 p.m. back home here where we're at, I think you're going to get a little bit more of a core uh, group of players. Same thing at about 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific Time because that's when the Eurozone's on. So kind of there's two peak play times we have in our game, and that's when you're going to have the most dedicated players are the most skillful players, and you're probably going to see a, a change in which modes get played at that point. One of the things I, I definitely will hit on when we get to it um, is a little bit later on the podcast, but in reference to skirmish mode, and then obviously, Jason, what you were just asking was uh, the weight differences. And, uh, you know, obviously, if someone's dropping on skirmish and they're pre made, they may take heavier weight knowing that, right? Because they're queuing for that particular game mode. Whereas right. me, I play, I play on any. And a lot of the times I try not to, especially if I'm in a pre-made, I just try not to run with four assaults. I usually try to, you know, like, hey, what are you taking? Okay, I'll take a medium if you're taking a heavier assault. Um, but I definitely think that's important. But we will be covering that later. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's hold on to that. But um, the next question we have is, with the addition of the new game mode, has it affected the, the player queue buckets? You know, you guys have mentioned each game mode affects, you know, if you add on more, the more buckets there are. Um, you know, obviously you said this one was added, it's 20%. Um, how, do, how does that affect uh, the player queue? Uh, it's always going to affect uh, the player queue to a certain amount. Uh, every time we segregate the player base, it's going to take longer for matchmaking. Um, I haven't seen a ton of issues in our wait times. It, they haven't seemed to have gone up too much, so that's, that's kind of the good news. But... I think, uh, like you said, a lot of people are using any, so really they're just finding matches at a, at a fairly decent clip, uh, similar to before we added skirmish mode. Uh, anybody who just sticks to one mode only and only plays one mode will probably uh, tend to skew higher on their matchmaking times. 
Well, along those same lines, you know, either people are doing any, which I do, Phil does, a lot of people I know do any, and there's some people who totally are hard set on on assault and conquest. Will there ever be a toggle option so you can pick multiple game modes? Yeah, we we are exploring that, but uh, because we're so close to the launch module, uh, we kind of said, you know, let's hold off on that feature uh, for uh, getting the launch module out and the the design of how we want to handle that aspect with that module, which I can talk about a bit later. Um, so we're just we we did talk about it, but we're holding off on allowing um, you know to, to select two out of three kind of thing. All right, so we're going to be talking about um, uh, you know possible other game modes uh, as well. But uh, can you hint towards you know we've heard dropship, we've heard attack and offend. Um, can you give a little bit of detail about uh, you know uh, future game modes? Yeah, the next game mode we're going to be uh, working and developing on will be uh, asymmetrical gameplay surrounding the conquest of planets, and that's for community warfare. Uh, we're just finishing up. All the design team is currently working on the launch module and writing up all the stories and the details and and everything that's necessary for the engineers to finish it. It's been in production for a month and about two months now, so we're actually pretty well into it. But there's a lot. Of, it's just a big 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 component as soon as they're done that they're going to be going back over to um, work on the base concepts and also the game rules for planetary assault so that'll be the next game mode that goes in but it will be exclusive to um, the community warfare component of trying to take over uh, planetary assets Mm, I love the fact I know we're getting to that point now where we're starting to talk of you know things are starting to actually roll oh it's going to be good well, I know a lot of uh, comp teams, you know, they're already practicing. I mean, them playing in the leagues, they're going to have a, you know, one up on everyone. And then, you know, obviously once Community Warfare comes, you know, out, I think a lot of people that have, you know, stepped away are going to come back because, you know, it's that it's that epitome of we can make an imprint in the universe and fighting for, you know, the planets and fighting for resources and stuff like that. And obviously, I think when we get closer, Brian will definitely be sitting down and or looking. I'm sure there might be a vlog video uh, talking about all the details as far as community warfare go. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, and again, I think, uh, you know, one thing to note as far as the game modes, I'm really looking forward to attack and offend. And um, I definitely want more details as we get closer to that as far as you know, the, the nitty and the gritty, if, if you will. But uh, And speaking of that, just so people are aware, um, you know, we will be have like Brian basically uh, told us before this interview, he can't go into the details of community warfare. We'll either get Paul on at some point in the near future uh, to talk about some more of the details or we'll work it out in some way that we can get that information to you. Yeah, so, our focus right now, just to clarify that, is just we're focusing on our, our key goals and our promises to the community, uh, which leads up to April, right? Getting that launch module out. That's a real cornerstone, just like UI 2.0 was a cornerstone for community warfare. So is this launch module. There's a lot of features wrapped up in it that need to be out before we can go on to the next phase. And I really think that especially the private match aspect is going to allow those leagues and those guys who are out there trying to be competitive a uh, real opportunity to... Um, to do so until we get the the formal warfare and formal formal community warfare aspect in. No, oh, I think that's huge. Uh, private matchmaking is going to be huge uh, across the board. Okay, so speaking of UI 2.0, uh, you guys just released it. Um, I want your initial thoughts on. Are you happy with the release? Yeah, I'm. I'm happy with the with what we achieved given the time frame that we've been working under. It's been a feels like we've been in, you know six months of of mud, you know tough mudding 
as they say, right? Uh, getting this thing finished to a point where we could get it out to the community. It's still early. There's still features missing. There's still optimizations and bugs that we have to address. Uh, we're crunching those right now. But I was really happy with the general the general look and the, the overall reception from the community. Uh, it was uh, positive. I think we still have to address our core audience. Um, we have some uh, features coming out soon uh, in the next 60 days that will help. Uh, yeah, everybody knows Smurfy's view and things like that. We're starting to add mech details, which is an overview of your mech. There's a lot of little things that we're doing based on the community feedback that uh, was worked into the pipeline earlier in late December based on uh, playtests in November and October. Those are now going to come out and people can enjoy some of the fruitions of their, of their feedback. So all in all, yes, absolutely happy with where we're at. I feel uh, uncorked. You know, it's like all of this stuff's been bottlenecking us. It's finally out. It's all about forward progress now. Every single patch we do is going to be new features, new content. And I'm just really excited. It's the whole studio is excited right now. I was going to say, you guys set a date. You said February 4th, this is coming out. Um, I think that was, you know, from my point of view in the community, was very important that you guys actually follow through with that. And you already, you were just talking about there's core features that you feel need to be delivered to the uh, you know community before you guys move on. Um, I just want to say I, I think that's really important, especially from you know the outside looking in. A lot of people have been uh, very you know critical. Hey, you know you guys said this was supposed to be out you know six months ago. You you know it's still not out. Um, so now that that uh, you know UI 2.0 um, to me. I was okay. I was like, you know, I, I realize this isn't going to come out. It's not going to be fully functional, but it's out. You know, like that's that's a big thing to me. So uh, props to you guys. Well, I think that's part one. And then part two is what Brian just said um, regarding the fact that the feedback they got during testing didn't fall on deaf ears, which is a, a criticism that we heard that, you know, hey, it released and it's kind of in the same form we saw it months ago. So knowing that 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 stuff was taken seriously and will be uh, rolling out in future um, additions and changes of the UI, I think is, a, is good news for people. Yeah, a lot of stuff we work on is locked in several months beforehand. So we did the PTs in the fall and, you know, we had a, a schedule of work that had to be completed before we could go back and uh, address that feedback. And, and that's exactly what we did in, in January. We actually worked on a lot of the feedback, which is now going to start coming out to get into players hands in, in early uh march so it's it's exciting because again that's to me forward progress these are views and features and functionality that did not exist in the previous version and and now we're actually being able to add things that the community's really wanted uh and uh, i'm just super happy super excited to actually be able to do that one of the biggest things before we go to the next question is if someone hasn't noticed this when you were coming out of the a match and or loading into the game, the first load sequence into the mech bay with the old UI, it would take me probably around 30 seconds between <laughs> each match. And now it's instantaneous. So, you know, when you guys were literally saying there's a lot of backend stuff that will improve everything, that's actually one of the first things that popped out when I, when I hopped in. Even though I did break the friends chat system. Which that, I guess what was our goal? I mean, wasn't that I think our goal like from the start? Was it was your excuse anyway. Yes. Yeah. It was. <laughs> hey, send me a friend request. We're trying to break the chat system, and then we sort of broke it. But uh, yeah, definitely the the speed increase as far as Mecca and your yeah, awesome. I, I think breaking the friends list bill for you is an understatement. You just annihilated it. 
what what was your final tally? You had seventeen hundred or something like that. It's it was above seventeen hundred. Yeah. yeah, and basically I was told by uh, Brian Windover, you shouldn't have that many friends anyways. That's that's <laughs> not realistic. And I was like, oh, you know, it is what it is. Acquaintances, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you well, broke scale form in a bad way. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> it was it was cool. I was like, "What is it? Is it scrolling out? It's scrolling out of the box." And of course, yeah. So, all right, Darren. Next question. But whatever, real quick. Um, just from a design standpoint, when you're doing something like UI 2.0 and making a huge overhaul, um, do you ever bring anybody in for like a fresh eyes view? Like, here's a new player. Look at this. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, we do. We do a little bit of that. Um, we have people take a look at, at the flow and the functionality. Uh, the the mandate for 2.0 was to make it easier for a player who wasn't familiar with BattleTech to be able to just focus on one thing at a time. Right? Yes, it means more clicks, more things to do to get to what you want to do, but every screen is contextual, and you're really just doing one thing at a time. Uh, the problem is for the expert player, they just, they don't care about looking at their mech. They don't want to see it. They just want to be able to edit everything at once because they want a planner view, right? They want their Excel spreadsheet. That's what they need. And so that was always on our radar. And this, the, the thing we wanted to work on after we got that, that simplification done for the new user. Well, Jason kind of stole my thunder and, and kind of asked my next question, which is totally fine. But basically it was in, a, in terms of design, um, how do you approach both functionality and aesthetics in terms of new players versus veterans? Is are you kind of do you separate those two and 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 put everything through a prism from that perspective when you're designing? Um, how do you deal with that? Uh, yes and no is kind of it's kind of a yes and no answer. We we look at what we're trying to achieve with each screen. You know what information needs to be conveyed. Uh, then we look at our demographic and go who's the screen for and and how would they use it. And so MechLab obviously is a very complex, extremely complex um, part of the U UI. And it has so many rules, so many conditions, so many pieces of information that you need to convey to a player so that they understand what they're doing. And then on top of that, you have to make it look cool and functional. And so those are, you know, it's they're in opposition at the best of times when it comes to a new user and an experienced user. So we we tried to just do our best to, to make sure that every screen could be uh, viewed, and you'll see this in upcoming uh, versions, can, can address the needs of both of those demographics as best as possible using one view. And whenever that's not possible, then we offer up different views, as is the case of uh, the mech overview screen, which is specifically designed for that core player, that experienced player. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, a lot of, as soon as you hopped in there, and, and we saw this early in the playtest, uh, on on the playtest server, you know, obviously the first thing everyone was like, oh, you know, this, you know, the functionality is not there and, and stuff. How easy is it to move things around? Is the system modular? Like if you guys want to move UI elements around, is it is it easy? Uh, it's not terribly easy. Um, it's a very complex, uh, it's flash driven. And it's, we did a lot of, we did it, we completely overhauled how the UI works. And a lot of it has to be, had to be rewritten uh, inside of CryEngine uh, to make it do what we needed to do. Uh, Sean Cove put up a great post, I think in summertime, a command share post that kind of described a lot of that work that we were doing. That was a couple of months worth of work just to even be able to work on the UI. It, it's easier, it's much, much easier than it used to be, but it's still not something, it's not like a web page where you just change the size of your frame and everything looks different. Uh, it still requires um, 
quite a bit of tuning and testing. The other thing that a lot of people may or may not realize is the UI has to be built for the uh, lowest common denominator, which unfortunately in our world is 1024 by 768. That's four by three. That means not widescreen, which means that a lot of the people go, oh, why don't you fill up more details? Why don't you fill up the space more in 1920 by 1080? We can't because the elements are exactly the same and they all have to fit within that smallest resolution. So we do have to make sacrifices. We are trying to work out a way though, where um, information is displayed contextually based on your resolution. So those with bigger resolutions will actually end up with more information. However, the core functionality that the, the things that you need, all players need to be able to add their mech have to fit inside those resolutions. So that's some of the other things that challenges we and hurdles we have with the layout and why the layout is the way it is. 720p? Who does that? No! It, you know, it's the same uh, thing for website designers. You know, they, they have to design usually for the lowest common denominator. And it's funny, you always see people like, well, I've got 10 billion by whatever resolution and this doesn't look... <laughs> well, you're like the third person on the planet to have that resolution. Yeah, when I'm playing at 1440, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, everyone's like, dude, your mechs are so small. I'm like, it's because I'm playing at 1440. And I and I realize that's not the, the norm. You know, I know 1080 is probably, gamers-wise, is probably the, becoming the norm. But uh, wow, I didn't realize it was 720. So yeah, definitely uh, some It's yeah, actually smaller information. than that, though. Yeah, 720 is, is a good resolution. That's widescreen. I'm talking 1024 by 768. 1024 is 200 pixels smaller width-wise than 720. The more you know. So what are the things you've learned from, uh, you know, releasing UI 2.0, like moving forward? I think the biggest thing uh, that is always a surprise, and and you, you just you can never test this enough, is the impact a live population will have on systems that you built. Uh, we had to turn off, for example, dynamic pricing temporarily because we had to hot patch and it's going to go uh, go out shortly here. Uh, we had to, to, to turn it off because we were actually DDoSing the clients. So our servers were <laughs> shutting down clients <laughs> because nice. they're sending so much information across the wire. Uh, because of the user behavior we hadn't anticipated. And, you know, it's to try and try as hard as we might. There's always something that slips through that you're like, oh, really? And, and a good, another great example is now that we allow players to see their inventory and you're able to sell off your inventory, which is fantastic, something people have been wanting forever. Um, the in inventory queries, like we have these Munin graphs, which basically chart all the services, all the all the dedicated servers, all the the routers, everything, everything in the backend architecture. We just saw this massive spike, and as soon as there's a spike, all these alarm bells go off in the studio. You know, everybody gets emailed. People are panicking. It's like, what the hell was that? And it was now that everybody was able to access their inventory, people were querying the database. They were just hammering it. And it was like, holy smokes, we knew this was going to happen, but it, the scale was incredible. So I think that's the thing we continually learn and we continually try to improve our processes. Uh, another thing was, uh, we, you know, like the, the advanced options that slipped through, that was just a, a QA miss. Again, just continually trying to improve our processes with each release and uh, not taking certain things for granted. Uh, it's always evolving. And, you know, we're, we're not a huge company between, you know, IGP and us. There's only about 60 people. And uh, it's, you know, it's not like we're EA where their test department's a thousand people. So, you know, stuff, we're, we're, that's, that's our focus. And that's always the thing we're trying to improve the most and the thing that we always kind of get bit by. 
Speaking of your 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 size, your employees, and so forth, um, the little video at the end of vlog number two with everybody in the room eating the cake is that pretty much on a day to day basis? How many people you have in the office? Uh, there's probably about 15 people not in there that you couldn't see. Um, the mech team is 45 between 45 and 48 depending on what we're doing we have floaters that move around but uh yeah so there's there's 45 people i think 50 no sorry let me think about that live operations is 12 so that's like just people taking care of running the servers and then there's the mech and map team map team is about seven and the the mech uh, creation team is um there are 12 right now because we're doing all the clan stuff i thought it was awesome to see everybody together like that yeah, most definitely, uh, you know, making, putting a face to a lot of people behind the scenes. And hopefully, uh, you know, the vlogs are definitely doing that, you know, making that connection for a lot of people. Just real quick, um, when you mentioned like design and kind of, you know, unforeseen consequences and things like that, Brian, do you think you'll utilize test servers moving forward? Oh, we do. We actually have a whole uh, pipeline that not everybody sees. Uh, we go from internal branches, which get tested locally uh, in the studio, uh, to um, stage, which is, uh, sorry, to stable, which is online. So that's the first phase. And stable is actually a mirror, is a mirror of our hardware uh, that you guys use in production. Sorry. Uh, stage is a mirror, stable is a, another set of hardware. And so we do go through a pipeline uh, where features are pushed through different states of uh, server design. Uh, once they get to stage, essentially that's where we test anything we can at scale. But the simple reality is when you have hundreds, hundreds of thousands of players hammering it individually in different ways, uh, you know, in tens of thousands of queries per millisecond, you just can never fully it's, it's almost impossible to simulate perfectly what a player is going to do i was going to say and even if you do a public test how many people actually show up to the public test compared to when you push it live i mean i'm assuming you don't you know the the amount of people that come do the public test are those that are you know the the ones that go over to the forums the ones that are active on facebook the ones that are active on reddit i mean um, you know unless you know they're there's some type of in-game messaging saying, hey, public test is live, go check it out. So, I mean, unless they don't, you know, unless they know about it, they're not going to go help, you know, do the public test either. So I think public tests are awesome. Brian, I'd like to know from you, how have the previous public tests basically performed? Have they, have you been able to learn from them? Is it something you want to do more of in the future? What, what is the overall public test uh, feeling right now? Uh, they, they've been uh, very good. Overall, I mean, we've had a few ones with uh, lower turnouts. Uh, the UI2s averaged, you know, 900 to 1500 users, which gives us a good baseline. Uh, so not huge, but um, definitely enough to give us some metrics and, and analytics that we can use to uh, tune and tweak certain things. Uh, PTS is, is, is here to stay. So we will be pushing any major features through the PTS system to make sure uh, that uh, we catch as many of those big balance issues or, or gameplay bugs as quickly as possible. Do you think we'll get a, uh, a longer window of opportunity to experience a test? Uh, it depends. We're, we're trying to do that. Uh, there's obviously a resource conflict. I mean, a lot we have to monitor them, and, and it's our our patch schedule. You know, you hear from people sometimes, the players, and, and I, I love them that they want patches all the time, but there's, there's actually quite a lot of cost time-wise to each patch. Uh, we can't really speed it up, and, and 
patching the test servers is like patching a live the live operations we have to prep it we have to build it it takes about six to eight hours to make a build it has to be monitored it has to be pushed up uh test uh the test team at, at igp has to sit down and go through and make sure it works so it's every pts is probably a week's worth of work to put up uh, from a very variety of different people so uh, we we just have to be careful at managing our resources and how long it's up. Also, we want to make sure we don't take too much of a draw from the population that hasn't, like the live service, like live operations uh, side of things, but it, it really hasn't been an issue. Our turnouts haven't uh, caused any issues in, uh, where we've seen like, oh, people can't match make because there's not, not enough players online, that kind of stuff. Well, I think uh, something you just said is, is pretty good to clear up too. A lot of, I, I've actually seen comments of, well, why don't they just make a quick change and throw it up on the public test and, you know, just flip the switch and let everyone test it? Because what you just outlined was it's not just one person. You need a team behind the whole process, which means a schedule. But uh, let's go ahead and move on. Um, I think we've uh, hammered that home. But one thing you were talking about as far as immersion uh, with the uh, skirmish mode, you know, being a sort of realistic battle sense, um, cockpit glass. You guys introduced this. Let me just clear this up to the nerd in me. It's actually Pharaoh armor, but it's uh, you know see through. Just it's not really glass. I, you know, Translucent. I to, but let yeah. me clear this up too. It's also make believe. <laughs> this is this is the real world, man. Sick bird. Yeah. Just saying. And that concludes part one of the interview with Brian Ekman. Look for part two tomorrow. It'd be best if you avoid me. But I know you probably can't You sense something is wrong with me You can feel it on my skin But there is more with it Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever 